morning, Calvary. I'll tell you, it is nothing but joy to hear testimonies of God's work in young women and young men's lives, in adults, in students, to know that God is presently with us, transforming lives still today. If you are in the cheap seats and the new lighting blocks me, I will move around so I can still see you. All right, we're in a series called This We Believe, and we're going to take just 15, 20 minutes to talk about another subject today. We, we are looking at some of the things that are core beliefs for us as Christians because we know that what we believe really matters because what we believe influences how we behave, how we interact with the world around us, how we treat other people, how we treat ourselves, what we think about the world around us. And so what we believe really matters. And so we opened up with, first start talking about what, what the Bible is. Like, what is this book that we've been looking at? And then from there, we spent three weeks looking at God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then, and then we're going to take a turn today to spend three weeks looking at humanity. And you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be brief this morning, but more in depth next week and the week after. And we're going to spend three weeks looking at humanity in three sections. What is the origin of humanity in its creation? What is the current reality of humanity in its condition? And what is our future hope of humanity in this thing we call covenant we have with God? What you believe about humanity really, really matters. What you believe about humanity will help influence how you treat other people and even how you treat yourself. And so when we talk about humanity, we first have to ask ourselves, what makes us human? Like you believe you're a human being, I believe I'm a human being, but what makes you so special? I mean, what gives you value, dignity, worth? In fact, if you spent the last three weeks with us talking about God and how magnificent God is, how awesome God is, how big God is, to some degree you can think, well, why would God care about us? If God's that great and that big and all that powerful and he's holy and he's other, why would he concern himself with us? That's a question that the psalmist asks. This is Psalm chapter 8, where the psalmist asks, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, like the awesomeness of God, we sang about that, how great thou art. When I think about those things, I have a question. And the question is, what is humanity? Like, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you would even care about him. Like, when I think about you, God, and I think about me and us and the mess that we make, I just wonder, what is it about us? that keeps your attention? What is it about us that makes you even care? Now, if you're a humanist and you have to define what makes a human by purely Darwinian terminology, you would look at certain attributes that separate you from an animal. In Darwin's Descent of Man, published in 1871, he simply says the difference in mind between humanity and the higher animals, great as it is, certainly is one of degree 
not of kind. Meaning, you're simply a more advanced animal. Like you and the animals are made the same, look the same, act the same, except that you are more advanced. In a humanist perspective, the unique capacities and attributes that humans possess, such as reason, consciousness, and moral agency, is what makes you so valuable. Do you get that? Moral reason or agency, consciousness, are two attributes that distinguish you from the animals, from a humanist perspective, which would beg the question then, what if, due to infancy of age or senior in their elderly years or someone's inability or disability, that they would not have that same moral reasoning capabilities, moral understandings, or consciousness, do they lose their humanity? From a humanist perspective, if what makes you a human and separates you from animals is your cognitive intellect, your abilities, consciousness, and you have morality, what if we were to meet someone in their infancy or their age or in their disability that does not possess those things? From a humanist perspective, they are less than human. And this has led many people to devalue men, women, young, old, of different ethnicities and races because they value humans on a spectrum. Now, in the, in the question of the psalmist, God, when I think about how awesome you are, what makes us so special that you would be mindful of us, that you would care about us, the psalmist does not appeal to your abilities, successes, moral conscience, your cognitive faculties. What does he appeal to? Psalm 8 goes on, and he simply says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of heavens and the flesh of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. What the psalmist appeals to for your dignity, worth, and value is that you have been made on purpose. And there's something that you just have to understand, that you have been made on purpose, and then he talks about with purpose. And there's purpose to your life. You're not simply an advanced animal here on accident that has evolved over time, but that someone thought of you, loved you, made you, and gives you intention and purpose to have in life, and so your value and dignity, regardless of age, ability, inability, disability, is rooted in the fact that you are made in the image of God. What he appeals to is the Genesis story. Genesis chapter one, let's look at it. Genesis chapter one is an account of how God, spirit was over the surface of the deep. There's just like chaos. And God speaks into that chaos and brings order and beauty and intention and design. 
and he forms all sorts of creatures. Genesis chapter one, verse 11, he pulls out the animals in the ocean, winged animals according to their kinds, it says. And then it goes on in chapter one, verse 24 and 25, talking about the animals of the earth according to its kind. And then in chapter one, verse 24, talks about the beasts of the field that are created according to their kind, animal kind. And then in verse 26, God does something totally different. That he doesn't make humanity according to its kind, but according to his kind. Chapter one, verse 26 says, then God said, let us, remember we've been looking at the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, from the very first chapter of the Bible, here is the Godhead, let us, let us make man or humanity in our image after our likeness, after our kind. That's different than the animals, very different than the animals. You're made in the image and the likeness and the kind of God and let them have dominion, right? And have his purpose. They're gonna have a job to do. They're gonna be stewards. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, especially those spiders that try to make their way in your home. You just crush them. <laughs> I don't know if that's what he meant. So God, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And he created us male and female. All humanity is created in two genders, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Part of the first blessings of God is when a male and a female come together and they multiply. And every human being in this room and on this planet is the result of a man and a woman coming together and multiplying. And so part of the blessing is that a man and a woman would come and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then they're going to subdue it, it says, and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds and the airs, over the heaven and everything that moves on earth. What gives you and everyone in this room dignity, value, and worth? It is not based on your abilities. It is not based on your age. It is not based on your contribution to the planet. It is based on one thing. God made you in his image. And you matter. You matter. The reason it's worthy to talk about the origin of humanity is because you really matter. And there's some people in this room who were told you were an accident. We didn't really want you. And this flies in the face of that to say that you were made on purpose for a purpose. There's another Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together, like on purpose, you knit me together in my uniquenesses. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What gives humanity its dignity, worth, and value is that you've been made in the image of God. Wayne Grudem, looking at this fact, simply says, the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. It doesn't mean that you are God, 
but that you are like God. In the simplest way, if someone were to ask you, what is the image of God in you? You could simply, simply say this. There's something in me that when God looks at me, he sees something of himself. That's the simplest way to define it. There's something that when God looks at you, there's something about you that reflects him. You are his offspring. And not only were you made on purpose, intentionally knit together, woven together in your mother's womb, but then you're given purpose. In, Saul, or sorry, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, okay, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion over the fish and the seas. Now, that's kind of unusual work, but what is God giving them? God work to do. Do you see that? So the first part of Genesis 1 is that God subdues the chaos and brings order and beauty and creation. And now he calls you as stewards to do what? Subdue it. Bring order, beauty, and creation out of chaos. Wherever you see chaos, as an image bearer, you do God work. Like, go bring order and beauty and chaos. Out, or bring that out of chaos. And then we said, not only that you're going to subdue it, but then multiply. What did God do? He, he filled the oceans. He filled the land. He filled the sky. And he says, okay, you as image bearers do God-like work and fill the earth with what? More human beings. And so God's not going to create every single person like he did Adam and Eve. He's going to allow you part to participate in God work. And so human beings, when they come together and they're fruitful and they multiply, they multiply that creative genius of God to create beautiful culture and humans. Some humans that are tall and some humans that are short, some humans that have luscious long locks and some of us who are bald. He creates every ethnicity, every tribe, every race. When you ask the humanist, why does they, that race matter? They don't truly have an answer. But you do, Christian. It's because they were made in the image of God. And they have dignity and worth and value. And I will defend their life because their life matters. Because they're not an accident. They were made on purpose with a purpose to subdue creation, the chaos, and bring order and beauty out of it. To fill the earth with more human beings and bring in the creative genius of God through tribes, nations, and tongues. And then do you see what you also get to participate? Have dominion. Like, be little stewards. You're going to have authority over this earth. God will hold us accountable how, how well the earth goes. And the dominion doesn't mean that you get to pillage and plunder creation. Dominion means that you get to steward it. Cultivate it. Bring forth its creative genius that God has put into creation. God's like, okay, I made this earth. There are so many awesome things inside of it. You're going to spend a lifetime learning the potential of creation, and you're going to draw out of it amazing things. Medicines, in industry, culture, and I just put it all in there, and it's for you to discover and cultivate and care for. See, we as Christians, man, what, how did we get a rep for not caring about creation? We should be the body of Christ 
that cares ultimately for creation. We, we know how it was made. We should be the ones that care for creation the most. We should be the ones that care about the world the most. For we know who made it and why it was made. And we have been given a purpose to cultivate and care for the world, for the planet. You see, when you have a biblical understanding of this we believe, it drastically changes, does it not? How you live then? How we behave, how we treat one another, how we even treat ourselves? Does it not fundamentally change when you know that you have been created by God on purpose, for a purpose? Absolutely. There are so many young kids today that are struggling with their identity because they have no idea they were made on purpose. They have no idea that they were made for a purpose by a benevolent, loving God that sees them and loves them and that they truly matter. Friends, you have a better story to share. So we talk about this, not because you didn't know this. We talk about this so you can go share this. In a world that doesn't know these things, you get to share these things. It's such a better story. And the reason it's better is because it's truer. It's fuller. It's more satisfying. Tim Keller, looking at the Christian story compared to the story that the world tells us, he simply says, the Christian narrative makes better sense of the world than the alternatives because it can account for more of the phenomena, more human complexity and identity, more cultural diversity, more of our experiences of longing, fullness, and hope, and more of our desire for justice, satisfaction, and wholeness. And the reason it can is because it's the truer story. It's the truer story. And the ultimate expression of what it really means to be human is Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came and lived a fully human life perfectly. And when we look at the life of Jesus, of how free he lived, of how full he lived, of how he lived with mercy and compassion and still upheld the truth, we're looking at, we're looking at a real, true human being. And the good news is this. He came to save us from our corruption and to form us into his identity. The hope of our faith is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the true human, so that you would experience what it truly means to be free, what it truly means to be full, what it truly means to be satisfied, as you are shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that it, it, when you leave today, they just have two things in your mind that God created me on purpose and that God created me for a purpose. And my life is to live in that reality. And the reason it really matters is because you really matter. You really matter. And when you consider the heavens and the work of God, you say, what is it about me, God, that you're mindful of me, that you even care the littlest bit? Is it because of your abilities, inabilities, successes? No. It's because you are the offspring of God. That's why. Let's pray. Father, I pray that 
even in that brevity, you would speak to the deepest part of every woman and man in this room. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they are no accident. But they are here by design, on purpose, and for a purpose. That they would know they've been created by God and for God. And Father, I just pray for all their restlessness of, of where they feel their discomfort in life. I just pray that they would find them w- their way to you and that they would find rest in this truth. And Father, I pray for every person in this room who knows this story, who knows the reality of our origin, that they would be willing to share it with a world that has lost sight of this, that thinks they're simply two steps ahead of an animal, that they would know that every human being, young and old, of every tribe and tongue, was made by you. In your name we pray, amen. It's so great to be with you today to celebrate baptisms and be reminded of God's creation. If we can be praying for you, we'd love to do that. Our prayer team will be down here in the front. Don't leave without being prayed for. If, if you're new this morning, our welcome team has a gift for you. If you want to stop by the welcome center on the way out, may you have a wonderful weekend, and we look forward to seeing you perhaps tomorrow morning.